The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the twelve, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Thomas Dorsey, not, uh, not Tommy Dorsey, a big band fan, but Thomas Dorsey, the son of a Baptist father and, and a minister father and a, and, a, and a church organist mother, was born in Georgia in 19, 1899. And early in his life, he loved the church and he also loved music, especially two recently kind of arrived on the scenes and now starting to evolve styles of music in the early 1900s. They were jazz and blues. As a teenager, he quit school to move to Chicago, and he got work for several years as a studio musician. He went by Georgia Tom. He got a big break in 1924. He became the piano player for Ma Rainey and her Wildcats jazz band. <laughs> a few years later, he had a breakdown on stage, and for two years, he was unable to, to play, to perform, to write music. He got back into his love by turning to the faith he'd been raised in and by writing music that merged his love for jazz and blues with his faith. This concept was not well received. Pastors and their flocks of saints considered jazz and the blues to be the devil's music. And so after a year of fighting what was turning into a losing battle, Dorsey went back to playing clubs rather than churches. Reflecting on those, those years later, he said that by then he'd been thrown out of a lot of the best churches in America. In 1932, his wife and uh, first child both died in childbirth. He was devastated, and again he turned to his music for spiritual comfort, and that's when he wrote his most famous song ever. We'll end the service with it. Precious Lord, take my hand. He said the words came to him direct from God. He returned to his efforts to merge jazz and blues and Jesus. And this time he found some doors that opened. And he went on to become known as the father of gospel music. And what had been dismissed by the church as the music of sinners instead became the beloved sound of revival in the church, calling sinners home to the Savior. Which takes us to the sermon today, which I've titled Saints and Sinners and You, and which is based on that reading we heard from the book of Romans, which, as it turns out, some of you are visiting and welcome. Uh, Lutherans, we kind of follow this schedule of reading, and as it turns out in that schedule, we're going to be heeding, hearing from this book of Romans for quite a few weeks in a row. And by way of preparing you for that, I want to tell you that the Bible's book of Romans is not for the spiritually faint of heart. Don't get me wrong, it is a great book of the Bible, highly recommended reading for everybody, but it, there is no theological baby food in it. 
Romans is grown-up food. Its theological meat is chewy. Its theological vegetables are al dente. Its theological coffee is strong. Its theological beer is stout. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is John 3, 16, wonderful summary of the gospel, memorized and recited by people of all ages. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That is Anna B. Warner's wonderful summary of the gospel, memorized and sung by people of all ages. Paul's book of Romans, wonderful adult summary of the gospel, is found in chapter 3. goes like this. Since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Very grown-up words. For the heart of the Christian message that yours and mine's and this world's sin-broken relationship with God is not healed when we sinners somehow manage to figure out a way to stop sinning and enough start doing enough good things to convince God to like us. No. The heart of the Christian message is that our sin-broken relationship with God is healed by faith in every good thing Jesus has done for us, not because God likes sin, not one bit. God hates sin. Let us be clear. God hates sin to hell. But God loves sinners. And in Christ, loves them all the way to a cross and to hell and back. We don't, Paul says, using pretty much every adult theological word he had available to him, we don't earn our way into God's good graces and to our heavenly home by being good enough instead of being sinners. We're saved by grace which finds and comes to us sinners where we are and welcomes us home through the forgiveness of sin. Now that said, and you don't need to be all that deep even in your thinking to follow this. I I mean, I can follow it. What do you suppose was the argument? What? And then the preacher got flustered and didn't know where his place was. What do you suppose is the argument that Paul heard over and over again from good religious people when they heard him say that you aren't saved by being good and religious? You're saved as a free gift of grace by faith in Jesus no matter what you've done. Well, the argument Paul kept hearing from good religious people is this one. Paul, if you tell people they don't have to be good, they won't be. If you tell people God loves them even though they sin, they will keep sinning. If you tell people they are forgiven no matter what they do, they will do whatever they please. Like the wit. It might have been Oscar Wilde, but I couldn't find that confirmed. The wit who said God loves forgiving sin. I love sinning. What a wonderful arrangement. (laughs) Ever heard or wondered even just some version of that? If yes, then welcome to Romans 6. 
where Paul says, what then are we to say? Since God by grace forgives sinners, should we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? His answer um, in the original Greek is me genoito, which I like to translate as hekno, because he's pretty strong. And then he proceeds to explain that though, of course, we are saved by faith, not good works. And so, of course, therefore, when it comes to heaven someday, and for that matter, when it comes to being in a healed and whole relationship with God these days, it doesn't matter what you do. He nevertheless proceeds to go on to say that people, that doesn't mean it doesn't matter what you do. You've got to love Paul. Actually, you don't have to love Paul, but I love Paul because in a world where people want truth so simplistically figured out that you can put it in a bumper sticker, Paul knew that God being God doesn't fit on bumper stickers, and so Paul didn't mind diving head first into deep waters of truth and then just kind of swimming around in there, even if we start sinking as we try to swim with him, which takes us to Romans 6 swimming around in water way over most of our heads as Paul, after he gets done boldly proclaiming that salvation is by grace through faith, it doesn't matter what you do, what you've done, he now every bit as boldly goes on to say, but of course it matters what you do. Now how do you suppose that works? Well, I do not know the bumper sticker that it works on, but as you heard that reading, if we just want to maybe just swim a little bit in there with him and do your best stroking, Paul tells us a few things about how it works, most of which will make a little more sense if you realize that the God of the Bible certainly wants you in heaven forever. But heaven, as it turns out, isn't the only thing that the God of the Bible sits and thinks about. It turns out that the God of the Bible wants more than eternal life with you someday. God wants abundant life for you today and tomorrow and the next day too. And here's the truth. Heaven, eternal life, it's not about what you've done or do. It's about Jesus, period. Deal with it, religious people. But this life... Right now, today, and tomorrow life, right now, full and abundant life, not just for you, but by the way, for other people too, goodness, that is all over the place related to what you do. I'm thinking of a young girl who's been given a commandment, something not to do. It sounds like this, thou shalt not play in the street. Is she loved even if she disobeys? If she sins against her parents' commandment and does play on the street? Absolutely. Disobedience won't get her unloved. Of course, that doesn't change the fact that it could get her killed, even though she's loved. How can it matter what you do, even if it doesn't matter what you do, because heaven is about faith in Jesus, and Jesus loves and forgives sinners, but actions in this life have consequences, even when you are loved, consequences in your life, and consequences in the lives of others too, which, by the way, is something Martin Luther was thinking when he once said, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. 
Even loved and forgiven actions in this life have consequences, consequences in your life and in the lives of others, and consequences, one of them to be sure, Paul says, is that sin in one way or another will be the death of us. But righteousness, God's way, is life for us and for others. And so Paul concludes Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So, back to my sermon title. Saints, sinners, and you. Where are you in all of that? Are you a saint? Walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and he tells you that you are his own and, and you, are, you are welcome to heaven and eternal life, saint you. Or are you a sinner? Walking along with whatever faith you do have or used to have or wish you had, but still, darn it, making a, a hell of a mess of things way more often than you wish you did. Well, I can't answer that question for you, of course. Actually, I take that back. I think I can answer that question for you. At least if your answer is honest. Because it's the very same answer as my answer if my answer is honest. I'm talking about the fact, the honest to God truth, that even if we love Jesus and believe in Jesus and Jesus hates sin, there's not one of us who would want to look Jesus in the eye and tell him that we personally are all done sinning. Would we? Honestly? So here's an idea. Be honest. Keep fighting the fight to be sure. God's ways, after all, are better than running out to play on Sin Street. But remember to cut a little slack. Remember to show some grace to yourself and to those around you, too, who haven't figured out a way to entirely be done sinning yet either. Which reminds me of something Nelson Mandela once said. I think it's in your bulletin. He said, I'm not a saint unless you think of me as a sinner who keeps on trying. Which takes me to something Martin Luther once said. I'm going to need the piano. Um, and I almost hate because you've made holy ground of that piano. I mean, goodness, I, I'm going to play three chords. Uh, Martin Luther once said, and I've been thinking about this in the context of, um, of this Jazz Music Sunday. And I'll start by saying that in traditional classical, by the way, we have some traditional classical musicians here. Don't jump on me. This is, this is simplistically true, okay? I mean, get over it. It's not maybe, you can think of exceptions. Um, in traditional um, classical music, dissonance exists, all right? Um, dissonance, things that just can't, don't feel like they're unsettled. It's a little bit dissonant. But, but by and large, in traditional classical music, still dissonant. Dissonant exists for the purpose of moving the music forward by resolving. Right? Jazz music takes chords that are traditionally regarded as dissonant and just lets them sound, plays them, and then just lets them hang there unresolved and even views them as, as beautiful. Yeah. 
All right? Here's what I was thinking. Martin Luther was a jazz theologian. I actually think this works. Because unlike a lot of theologians who uh, contemporary traditional classical theologians, they would write these volumes and volumes and volumes to, to explain everything, to, to resolve every dissonance that could possibly be about God. And, and they answer a question. If you have it about God, it's answered. Martin Luther, um, rather than doing that, he would just, he would um, embrace dissonance. He, he liked to embrace paradox. And he would put some theologically dissonant things out there into the conversation. He would just leave them alone, unexplained and unresolved. And he thought of them as theology that was beautiful because what it was, dissonance and all, was true. Luther had one paradoxical kind of dissonant-sounding theological chord, which he played often, and, and it came to the topic of whether a particular person, whether you or me or him, um, should be regarded as a saint or a sinner. In his original Latin orchestration, it sounded like this. Simul justus et peccator, transposed into English, it sounded like this. Simultaneously saint and sinner. We believers, Luther said, are saints, and not even kind of. We are 100% absolutely saints, for by grace through faith we are clothed in the 100% absolute righteousness of Jesus, and we are called, as we live our lives, to strive for saintliness, seeking to do what is good, and praying for God's Spirit to be work, at work in us and through us in the world for good. But you know what? At the very same time, Luther said, we are still 100% all of us. We are 100% sinners. We're not better than other people. And our 100% absolute call isn't to judge other people. Because God, it turns out, isn't done working with any of us yet. And until God's done, until heaven, I am not a saint or a sinner. I am, and you are too, a saint and a sinner. Which takes us to the front of your bulletin cover, which is also the T-shirt I'm wearing, and you look at it, you may be able to see the word saint. By grace through faith, I am one. For I am, through nothing I've earned, clothed in the forgiving righteousness of Jesus. And I do pray that Christ's light shines through me in the world and that in some ways, even just tiny ways, God's desires and love and purposes for the world are active in the world because God gave the world Roger. And I pray the same thing about you. But when I look at this shirt, and if you turn your bulletin cover upside down, I don't see it say saint. As I look at it upside down, what I see it say is sinner. Because that's me too. And in all likelihood, the light of Christ will shine through us far more powerfully and way more gracefully and completely not judgmentally if striving for all the good we can, we nevertheless never forget that. For we, all of us, honest to God, are saints and sinners. And we will be tomorrow, too. Thanks be to God for the victory that is ours in our Lord Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God this morning to you also for swimming with Paul and Luther and me in the deep water of saints and sinners and you and me 
and Jesus and above all and beyond it all and swimming in all the time, God's amazing grace. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God in Christ our Lord is eternal life. Amen.